Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Robbie Muller is a future trainee solicitor at Herbert Smith Freehills, but you might know him from Maiden Chelsea. A first-class law graduate from University College London, Robbie balanced studying alongside his role on the reality TV show. On TV, Robbie has been open about his sexuality to a rather vulnerable extent, holding uncomfortable conversations for queer visibility. In this episode, Robbie and I discuss his journey to securing a training contract. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to study law and pursue a career in law? Yeah, sure. Um, Okay. I think I'm amazed by so many people in university that just knew they wanted to study law since they were like nine years old (laughs) and they've been on a straight and narrow path and as soon as they're 18 they're at university studying law that certainly wasn't me the first time I did my A-levels I got an E, D and a C I then proceeded to do nothing quite literally beyond odd jobs for my father Mm -hmm. for a year and then I got really lucky and I got someone to do jury service in late 2018 and I absolutely loved it. Was it a juicy case? It was a juicy case. Nice. I okay. loved it. Yeah, it was really, really amazing. And I suddenly just got this deep sense of inspiration to study law. And up until that point, I was... Up until that point, I had such a bad perception of myself. I had no self-confidence. I had no self-esteem. I didn't believe that academia was for me. Mm. You know, E, D and a C mm. at A-level. That is crushing on your sense of self. But I walked away from that jury service experience thinking, I'm just ready to start. Let's just do it. That yeah. is... You know, I've actually never spoken to anyone that's done jury service yeah. and had this experience. Most time I've spoken to people who've gone to jury service, they're like... I tried to get out of it. <laughs> Stayed in a room, had to wait for two days, they didn't want me, or, yeah, the case was fine. 
was quite dull. Because also, I would say, like, even in a fascinating, dramatic case, being in a courtroom, looking at evidence, is a long day that really, unless you are fascinated by law, you're just going to find it, like, fine, the drama part was interesting, but it was a bit boring. So clearly the fact that you were listening to all that stuff and found it fascinating just shows that it was definitely the thing for you to do. Yeah, I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated by so much of it, like the barristers doing their speeches Mm -hmm. and sort of trying to connect with us. Um, As you mentioned, the drama aspect of it. But even being in the deliberation room, having to wrestle with questions of fact Mm. and really take that seriously. Yeah. I really felt the weight of the experience on my shoulders and it showed me a quite serious profession that I would love to do, Mm. you know? And I think that's when I spoke to my mother, then organised a meeting with a solicitor and he said to me, go study law. And I was like, shit, I've just got to do it. So I had to go back and do my A-levels again. Mm -hmm. I'd missed the college deadline by a few weeks. So that meant I had a year out, at which point he said, to fill the time, go study French. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't speak French. Are you not? <laughs> no. I can't either. And I did it <laughs> all the way up until GCSE. Can't say a word. Yeah. Je parle un petit peu français. Yeah, not bad. The accent's quite good. <laughs> but I've lost a lot of the vocab. I'd love to study it again, really, if I get the chance. Still. Get the Geolingo So you, you can speak a bit? A little bit. So that's cool that you've even got like a basic Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to take it further. And I think what's actually really cool as well, when you get into the legal industry, you find yourself with international clients. Yeah. And you could be on almost a daily basis interacting in their language mm. and connect with that client more so. So I think there's a really strong impetus there mm. just to learn another language. Yeah. But also that working relationship would give rise to a stronger grip on that language because you're constantly conversing in it. No, exactly. I think that's the one thing that holds me back is I don't have someone to constantly speak French to. A hundred percent. You redo your A-levels and then do much better in those, feeling more confident in your academic ability. Yeah. Apply to university. Yeah. Get rejected by LSE, get mm-hmm. rejected by Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. Get rejected by Kings. Kings want me to do history instead. Yeah. UCL go, come on in. Perfect. (laughs) So then? And then I find myself at UCL. Perfect. And then it's still COVID. So, I mean, honestly, the path was a little bit rocky. And I think I was a little bit robbed because I think at university, it's all about networking. It's all about even networking with the older years. That can give you really sage advice on the application process, on what you should be applying to. I didn't even know there were open days, by the way. I didn't know what a vacation scheme was until I was in about halfway through my first year. For me, second year. And my finance friends were talking about spring weeks. And I was like, what are you talking about? What are these things? I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we do the podcast, to try and, like, you know, help aspiring lawyers actually know what on earth is going on, because... It like helps a little bit with that networking opportunity because hopefully people feel like they're speaking to someone even though it's just us speaking. What did studying law look like? Did you enjoy it? I think I'm probably going to give you a bit of an unorthodox answer here and say that studying is a deeply emotional quest. You can feel utterly exhausted at times, burnt out, you know. This feeling of burnt out, I don't think universities adequately address it. No. Or how to overcome it. 
And it's only being in therapy that I've found healthy ways of coping with that feeling. And it's making sure you celebrate more, making sure you take care of yourself more, you know, meditate, self-love. All of these things we don't actually necessarily speak about. It's just do flashcards. Yeah. You know, and don't get me wrong. All of that is sage advice when it comes to studying. Oh, yeah. But the emotional aspect of it, we are emotional beings. And exactly like you're saying there. So say advice is like take a break. Mm. But that that break doesn't just mean, you know, taking a break where you go on a walk with a friend, say, for half an hour, but you're still worrying in your head or like thinking about studying or exams or what you've got to do it means Mm. like actually switching off emotionally from it yeah because that's when the burnout happens when you don't switch your mind away from it exactly so i completely exactly so for me what did studying look like it was a lot of meditating Mm. i really got into meditation during lockdown Mm. and i think fashioning some sort of mental discipline there a it builds attention span Mm -hmm. But B, it heightens your Mm self-awareness to be more aware of your emotional state and be able to be connected and in tune with what's happening in your chest and your tummy. Mm. Those patterns of energy that we would identify as stress, as anxiety, Mm. you know. Even like knowing, I remember I kind of had it with my A-levels. I'd have this horrible, horrible feeling and I just sort of powered through and whatever. Mm. And then when I got to university, obviously the work level steps up and everything does and you're living by yourself and you're doing your own washing or whatever um you're not living at home anymore but I had that same feeling but I kind of had to address it Mm. and like that was the first time I was like oh this is this is like anxiety I didn't even I hadn't really like named the feeling wow do do you know what I mean because I I was just like oh I'm just stressed about exams everyone gets stressed and worried but kind of like the difference between those stress, anxiety, uh, down, like all the different mm. feelings and like actually they can mean very different things. Yeah. And I think uni is really great to a great time where you kind of are forced into figuring that out. Yeah, you are. You have to. Um, you have to. You have to because the level of responsibility just steps way up. Yeah. And what's on your plate is enormous. Yeah. But as you say, that difference between like stress, which can be really useful and keep you going Mm -hmm. and push you through, but then anxiety Mm. where it's just burdening you. Yeah. Unnecessarily. Yeah. And how do you treat that? At times cripplingly. Yeah, 100%. 100%. When people ask me, I would say, loved parts of it, hated other parts. Mm. Overall, so glad I did it. Very thankful for my time. Have some great memories. Also have some awful memories. Do you know anyone that studies law? It's fucking crazy. Like, it's so intense. You know, I get one shot at that. I think. I want to I spin both plates. Yeah, I really course. do. I want to go to the gym, study law, have a boyfriend. I want to do all of it all at once. But fuck me, it's hard. Yeah. It's juggling. I think you've got a lot on your plate. And it's like, ah. Uh... Like, I feel squeezed. Yeah. I just feel pressure from all angles. Really? It's just all... So, whilst you're studying, you're doing that, and you're also doing your TV work. Yep. Can you talk a bit about how that came about and how you navigated doing both? Because, obviously, studying is a big commitment. A lot of people do work part-time jobs, but not many people 
do part-time jobs the same as what you did. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between working in a cafe or working at the students' union. Yeah. Who are flexible around your studies and yeah. things like that. And then... Yeah, it's funny you say that because there are similarities. Mm. I think, you know, the production company were very aware of what dream I had mm -hmm. and the path I was taking and where I was headed. And I made it abundantly clear that I needed carve-outs for seminars because you can't skip them. No. You must go to seminars. And yeah. they're, in, they're integral for your understanding. Um, and so it was just a matter of negotiating with production and ensuring that their schedules aligned with my schedule. Mm. And often it didn't. Yeah. And I had to miss filming days. Yeah. And, you know, there were trips to Bali that yeah. I had to miss out on. Six weeks in Bali over the winter. Couldn't go. Yeah. I had seminars to go to. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, in that sense, you've just got to stay on top of your communication. Yeah. And make sure that you're getting those exceptions and carve-outs and aligning schedules or schedules. I'm not sure how to say it anymore. This is maybe a niche question, but was that really hard to, like, say no to things like that? I think it's tough just from the perspective that I was a student and I faced, you know, I want to make money as well while I'm a student. Mm. I want a decent standard of living. And I think I know that I would have made money out in Bali. So I had to forego six weeks of work, mm. which meant I didn't make that money. Mm. You know, so, yeah, I think from that perspective, financially, it was a difficult decision to make. Um, in terms of the fun aspect and traveling the world and being in Bali. Yeah, certainly. But I am dedicated to this. Mm. Yeah. This is my number one priority. And it is just a matter of what is your priority in life. Mm. And this is it for me. You know, I'm on this track. and I just had to do it. And then also working as a TV personality. Like that is a lot Jesus. going on. That's that's what your like last three years have looked like. <sighs> like it's pretty insane. It's amazing. But it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, it's bonkers. In the best way, though, I mean that. Yeah. Gosh. That is a lot on. Plus seeing your friends taking care of your health, your health and just doing fun things as well. Do you know what? I don't think I saw my friends much. Mm. And I think I really did miss out on socials. Like, it was only until year three that I actually joined societies and tried to sort of get involved. Mm. Like, I did miss out. Mm. There are sacrifices that I had to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose that is probably one of my slight regrets, to be honest, being sort of overburdened there. I do also think, though, like, you you can tell just from speaking with you that you're a very empathetic person and, like... I mean, obviously, we have some mutual connections and stuff, and it's very easy to see that you are a good friend to people. So it sounds like even if maybe you've missed out on a few social things and things like that, you haven't sacrificed having amazing friends in your life and being there for them, which is also a very impressive thing to have done. It is, isn't it? You're spinning so many different plates, and then the friendship plate is falling, and you're trying to get back on that and spin mm. that one and... You're trying to keep up to date with all your friends and make sure that you're doing well at work and that you're attending your seminars and hopefully even your lectures, mm. you know. Yeah. And that you're reading these tomes of textbooks that mm -hmm. they're sending you or getting the essential information somehow. Mm. And it really, it's so much strategy goes into it. Mm. 
And I had to try and, I think we all did this with our modules, work out how is it assessed. Mm -hmm. And based on how it's assessed, how am I then going to prepare for it? If it was closed book, let's get the flashcards going. Yeah. If it's essays, let's identify the key areas of controversy mm -hmm. and flag those along the way. You know? And that is like the one piece of advice I always say to people is work smart, not hard. Yeah. And that doesn't mean doss about. No. That just means make your life easier. Yeah. And it's going to make you a better student because you're able to like hone in on the areas which are really important to. Yeah. And I remember when I was speaking to younger years, <laughs> I said, right, so you're doing property. I said, have you got a Bible going? They're like, what are you on about? You're doing problem questions. Are you developing a Bible? Mm. <laughs> like, exactly. If you're not, here's my Bible. Yeah. You know, you've, you've got to work smart. You yeah. have to work smart. Because also, I think with the level of reading at university, you could do it 24 hours. Like if, if, you, if you did the essential and the recommended, you could go for hours. Yeah. As actually sometimes you might just need to do the essential and for that topic, because it might be a coursework based one where you can choose the week that you do. You might not need to do the further for that one because it's just not possible that week. I think I definitely made that mistake. When I started at university, I thought, right, I'm going to do the essential reading. I'm going to do the further reading. Mm -hmm. It is impossible yeah, to do I did that the for exact all same. four modules. It is impossible. Mm -hmm. The essential reading is essential for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's because it's going to come up mm -hmm. or it has the possibility of coming up. Yeah. The further reading doesn't have that same possibility. And that's you know? helpful for if you're doing something like a coursework or a research project or something where they're going to ask you yeah. to analyse it. Yeah, and, and, and all of the questions that come up in the tutorials are relevant to the essential reading. Yeah. Period. Exactly. Okay, well, I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, same. <laughs> no, but honestly, I also think it's a good thing to say because a lot of people will be starting university mm. in sort of September, October, going to study law. And, like, I don't always think it's yeah. talked about that much. Yeah, so I think if we could just summarise that, you've got to strategize according to how the module is assessed. Mm-hmm. If it's problem questions, develop that Bible, you know, identify that, what is it, Iraq? Mm -hmm. Iraq, oh I don't know how God. to say it. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, but you want to look at those issues and how to diagnose the law and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. We're good on that subject. Okay, brilliant. And then obviously um, you kind of, you've, you're on the path for pursuing law because you've, you're studying law mm -hmm. and you're looking at vacation schemes or open days mm -hmm. or training contracts how did you go about securing a training contract, which yeah. massive congratulations on? And also, um, this is more just a side question, but obviously it was jury duty that inspired you. Why you? Why not? Oh yeah, I want to be a criminal barrister. Yeah, you know? two good questions. So I think achieving a, a training contract is unbelievably difficult. It's so tough. The application process you've got to really tailor who you are and marry yourself up to the firm. And you don't even know... There's there's thousands of law firms out there. And to figure out which one is right for you is not that easy. No. It isn't. But that's what the beauty of an open day is. Yeah. So I would my number one advice for that is go to the open days, mm -hmm. 100%. And even before that, if you're just starting at university... Find people in years above you because they have the answers mm -hmm. that you seek. Mm -hmm. They've gone through it. Mm -hmm. They've failed. They've fallen over and they've stood back up. Yeah. You know? 
and completely agree. They have that winning application structure because there is a structure to it, and you learn it. You do learn it, and then you learn how to marry up your experience, how to distill the transferable skill that you learned in any work experience that you did. Absolutely anything. I think there's always that question: Do I need legal work experience? No. 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 You just need to show that you can work in a team.、Mm-hmm. That a disagreement came up. How did you handle it? How did you reach a positive outcome? You know. I completely agree, and I think I did have some pockets of work experience, which I'm very grateful for, and really helped me decide it was the right thing I wanted to do. But actually, what I talked about in my training contract application interview is the fact that. I'd worked a part-time job since I was sixteen. Excellent. At the same place for three years, you know, and like, that's how I learned to speak to people and deal with complaints. And I'm hardworking, and I stay somewhere. And I think that that was what actually put me in a better position than having said, "Oh yeah, I did a mini pupillage." As much as I'm so thankful for that, because I really enjoyed it, and I it helped me decide this is what I want to do. I cannot. Express enough how anything you have done is okay to talk about, if not maybe stronger than just saying like, "Oh yeah, I got a week." Like it's like great, but at the end of the day, you can't do that much when you're not not even qualified degree wise at a law firm or X, Y, and Z.、Mm. So. Don't say, "Oh yeah, I single-handedly navigated a deal," because you didn't. You know, you might have supported and read a contract and did some due diligence, which was great. But what what have you actually done? And what's the best example of showing how your brain works? That's probably not going to come from that week's work experience, is it?、Mm. Um. Okay, and then so when you're In your training contract interview, and you're applying, how do you address the fact that you know you are a TV personality? Gosh.、Um... Do you address it? <laughs> Bloody hell! Sorry. <laughs>、um, yeah, it's. Oh. Because what I see, right, is someone who. Is clearly very intelligent because they're studying law at UCL. Who works extremely hard because you've navigated balancing studying and a very demanding part-time job.、Mm. Who is very good with people、mm. because you're. I mean, you can tell from the way you speak and interact with people, and you've had a lot of exposure to meeting new people. So I'm seeing like those are all really, really good strengths that you can talk about. Like, did you feel comfortable drawing on that?、Mm. And like, I don't know. You don't also anything you don't want to talk about. You don't have to. No, yeah, I think I w- I was definitely nervous because it's not something that everybody's going to speak about. Obviously, this is, I think, a particularly unique challenge, at least to me, because、um, I'm not sure of anybody else who's in the same predicament. <laughs>、um, Yeah, understatement. Yeah, maybe Kim K. <laughs> maybe Kim K. Yeah, she's trying. She'll get there one day. She will.、Um, yeah, I think so much of my private life is public, and that blend of the private and public really 
brings to the fore my sexuality mm-hmm. in quite a confronting manner. I think even when we're at the workplace, we can be LGBT and get the work done. But there is, you know, our sexuality is not necessarily that confronting. Yeah. But everything to do with being gay is out there in terms of my life, you know? Mm. And even issues which are really controversial at the moment, such as consensual non-monogamy. Babes, we had the best night. Tell me, why? (laughs) We got introduced to Geronimo. Oh, he's lovely. He is lovely, he's beautiful, he's kind. And then we may or may not have had a three-way kiss. What, the both of you? Yes. Oh, Oh my God, that's quite fun. It was fun. Questioning the orthodox relationship structures and who knows what the reaction is like to that. That is unprecedented on reality television. It's never been explored before, at least on UK reality television. I don't know of any other instance in which it has. Yeah. And certainly that's how it's being reported. And then combining that with law. So, yeah, I mean, as you know, I think it's we... It's terrifying. It is. It's scary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's very, very scary because it hasn't been done before. Mm. So I don't know who to look to. I think know. that, unfortunately, like, you are doing something that hasn't been done before. So you don't have really anyone to look to. Mm. And that is terrifying. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing or the wrong thing. No. It just means you're going to have to navigate it and challenges will come up, Definitely. I'm sure. And... You're always going to get bad people and rude people, Mm. but you're also going to get so much support because what you're doing is a really good thing. And Can I just say, I love that you said that because I spoke to my therapist about this. (laughs) So Jen said of me, I've got a therapist, of course. I I think everyone should have a therapist, to be honest. So great. I definitely need a therapist. Um, no shame there. And he is very well known in the queer circles, in sort of that academic subject about, you know, subjects of consensual non-monogamy, um, you know, queer life in general. He's really an expert. And I said to him, because I had a conversation with someone and they said to me, 
for the sake of debate, does it not worry you that some clients wouldn't want to work with you knowing that you've publicly done that? And I almost got the opposite angle from my therapist because he said, there are clients with people who work there that will see you at HSF and know that they're represented. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's perfectly worded. Yeah. Um, because that's so true. It's like, I don't know about your firm specifically that you're going to, but my firm have a policy of if anything rude is said by a client to do with anything like that. Like I spoke to a partner once who had had a client be really rude to him about his sexuality and they drop that client. They no longer work HSF is the same. Because you get more from actually having values. And like you say, exactly that. Some people will see that and be like, brilliant. That is the kind of firm I want to be representing me. Mm. And also, what if there's a client who, I don't know, I mean, all these firms, they do stuff like IP and media. Mm. What if there's a client that is navigating their own situation say in the reality TV space and they need legal support with whatever it might mm. be. Oh my gosh, are you qualified and more? Because the whole point of being a commercial lawyer is that you understand your client's needs. Mm. So. Wow, you've put that really well. It's true though, right? So That's reassuring. Anyone can be an amazing lawyer, but it's about understanding the client's needs. And in that situation to do with anything reality TV or just media or mm. speaking out about controversial issues, whatever it is, you have positioned yourself as actually someone who fully understands the industry that they're operating in, as well as being a qualified lawyer to advise them. Like, I think in that sense, there are such strengths that will come from it. I really, I really mean For the that, record, though. we just did a little fist bump. We did. <laughs> we did. But I... I mean that. I think that's incredible. Thank you, Katie. I do. But I also think it's really good that you're not shying away from it as well. Because I think it would be a very different situation if you were like, oh, yeah, no, it won't influence my career at all and I don't have a single concern. Like, what are you on about? As actually you're like, no, I, I have reservations about it. But I also think this, this and this has shown that I will be an excellent lawyer and I have the skill set for it and it's what I want to do. Mm. And I'm aware there might be challenges along the way and I'm just going to power through those. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily power through them. I'm constantly... I, I almost go a step forward and then a step back and then a step forward and it's it's a constant battle mentally because, as I say, it is scary. It's so scary. Mm. And I think the legal profession is, there is so many pre, there are so many um, preconceived notions mm. as to how it would be. And even when we did that, um, even when that storyline was televised, my dad was also scared for me mm. because you put in such a hard graft to get to this position, mm. to get into this industry. And the thought that being you could take it away from you mm. is a terrifying thought. It's a horrible thought. It's a horrible thought. It's such a conservative profession. Being gay is perfectly fine. Um, but I've spent so much time 
<laughs> it's okay. Mm. I think the last thing I want is um the last thing I want is who I am to get in my way. Yeah. In terms of the skills that you picked up from Made in Chelsea and beyond, how did you address those in your applications? You don't need legal work experience. You can do anything and pick up the transferable skills they're looking for. Mm. I think those questions that you get in the competency-based interviews are so much about how do you deal with people? That's ultimately what it is at, at, at base. Mm. And working on television, you work with a really broad, diverse range of people. You know, I have to interact with producers, with sound, with directors. I have to negotiate my contract with executive producers. Getting it to work around your studies. I have to you know, negotiate my schedule. I have to communicate that with them. Um, things might go wrong. And how do I deal with that? You know? And and did you, you know, say all of this in your application? And, I mean, I'm assuming you did because these are all the skills that are going to make you a brilliant lawyer. Yeah, like, I'm I, think, assuming... I think one of the things that I mentioned about TV is that, especially when you're filming a scene, you know, there is that spontaneity there and there's that improvisation. Mm. You go into a conversation, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Um, and so you've got to improvise and you've got to think on the spot mm. and you've got to be slightly quick. And I think in some ways that's relevant to being a lawyer. A hundred percent. Honestly, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this because, you know, you have gone out and got a training contract. So clearly you have demonstrated just how valuable all these skills are that you have developed. But genuinely, I can tell just from speaking to you that you are going to be a fantastic lawyer not that I'm a lawyer yet but like you know when you spend lots of time around solicitors and associates when you're doing all these vacation schemes and meeting people and you can just you meet someone and you're like yeah they're gonna be good like they're just so switched on and understand all the nuances of what you're talking about I'm really excited for you with where this aspect of your legal career is going and blending that I'm excited. I'm genuinely really excited for you. I can understand why it's terrifying. Yeah. Do not get me wrong. And I do think there will be bumps. Mm. But I think from the sounds of things, you're a firm that's really going to support you. And at the end of the day, if you've got good people in your life, good friends, which you obviously have, and family, and you've got an employer that is supporting you, then you couldn't be in a better position for it. I think that's why I'm so excited about HSF. You know, the CEO is gay. Mm. They formed the first um, network, the Iris Network mm -hmm. for LGBT people in 2005, I think. Mm. That was the first of its kind, industry-wide. So I know they're leaders mm. when it comes to diversity and inclusion, you know? It's so nice because... And you talked about this in your LinkedIn post that you yeah. did about getting your training contract, which I will link as well. If okay, cool. But quite often, and this is not all firms, but every company is going to have some sort of statement. But is that just a tick 
box exercise? There's a big difference between a statement as to your perception on diversity and inclusion and the degree to which you've internalised it as a value. Yeah. A big difference. There really, really is. And when I was at that firm for that, um, sorry, when I was at HSF for my VAC scheme, I really could see how internalised those values were amongst the people that work there. And that's how you know. It's legit. Mm. They really do walk the talk. Mm. You know? 100%. It's important. It's so important. And this is also just, again, you don't need to say this, but I think a lot of people, so looking at this conversation, obviously, how how can you go from being a TV personality to being a lawyer? As different as it is, just speaking to you, I really, like, it's not that different. Obviously it is, but in terms of those transferable skills, they're just so obviously, like, looking at it, and hearing you talk about it, they're so obviously setting, have set you up in the a really strong position, which is weird because you wouldn't think that. Yeah. Just from hearing the two terms next to each other. It's actually... <laughs> being on television massively developed my social skills. Of course. Massively Which developed. is what you need. <laughs> yeah, you do. Like, you need to be able to talk to an orange about an apple. Yeah. And you could do that. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. To film a scene, it takes three hours. Yeah. It ultimately gets cut to two minutes. Yeah. But you've got to have a conversation for three hours. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got, to, yeah. you've got to stay in that room and stay in that headspace and really connect with that person and empathise and understand them, you know? It's just, I, I know it's so obvious to you because that's your experience, but as an outsider who would probably think, oh, those two things, that's quite a random jump. Yeah. Now, just having had this conversation yeah. with you, I can really understand how it's not that random of a jump. Sure, it's unique, but in terms of the skills, it like really makes sense. So, speaking within the context of the legal industry, and I don't mean that in terms of, well, it might be you want to talk about this, but I don't mean necessarily the law, mm. but the industry, the environment, um, being a lawyer... What what challenges do you see the LGBT plus community facing? It's such an amazing question and I can't say that I've got an answer commensurate. I don't think I've got an amazing answer. And I think it's just because I don't have that much experience within the industry itself. Of course. To be able to sit here and identify with a, a lot of confidence what the issue is. So whether it's the legal industry or not, Broadly, prejudice mm. is the number one issue. Whether it's your accent, mm. your socioeconomic background, mm. your dress sense, yeah. your sexuality, yeah. um, your race. Mm. Prejudice is the number one issue. And that's the thing as well. I mean, obviously, all you can do is talk about your experience, but I'm always conscious when we do ask this question that intersectionality is a massive part of people's experience and also even within the gay community you can't speak for every gay person no. you know but it's still nice to find out about your experience of it which you've touched on about your vacation scheme and things like that and just hearing how for you those sorts of things have made you feel having a gay CEO, like how that's resonated with you and things like that. Mm. That's very inspiring. 
that side of things. It is about visibility. And I'm just pulling up my phone now because I had a message request come through from someone who is a professional. Yeah, this person wrote to me, I'm a professional and worried about coming out to colleagues or other professionals, but seeing your content makes me feel more comfortable. So all I have to say is thank you. Is that not... That is the victory. The best feeling ever. It is the best feeling ever. It really is. I, I know I'm not break... I know I'm being dramatic, but that's literally given me goosebumps. And the reason I say that is because with the podcast, sometimes I'll get messages from people being like, you know, like I've I've never really thought I could be a lawyer, but listening to this episode has made me realise I can, which is that same sort of feeling. But this is a whole new level and that's just like it's everything for me yeah it's everything because as i mentioned before i am constantly terrified of what i'm doing and how it might come into conflict with archaic viewpoints mm. but when i see that it's all worth it yeah it's completely worth it it's worth all the fear all the anxiety that i feel all of the shame that it reignites inside of me because I'm worried about other people's prejudice. But then I read that and I go, oh, I'm actually doing it for him mm. or I'm doing it for her. That is the perfect example of how it's bigger than just you. Yeah. As much as you don't owe the world anything, yeah. you've got to do what's right for you and do what feels good for you. But it's also sometimes nice to see the impact that's beyond yourself. And sometimes I think as well it's important to address that you might, you are doing amazing things, but also activism can be tiring in itself, you know? Yeah. When you say about looking out for others, for me, if I look like an idiot on television, I can get over that. But if I harm my community, I can't. Yeah. I will lose many nights sleep over that. Yeah. And so I think when we were going into Corsica and we really did explore consensual non-monogamy, which, by the way, is so commonplace in the LGBT community, it's yeah. constantly happening, but it's not happening on television. Yeah. And so I actually negotiated with the production company to include a queer consultant. And we brought on an expert to make sure in the edit that what we did would be in no way harmful to the mission of bringing awareness to the subject because it is a company. Yeah. There are biases in any company. There, there could be biases in the edit room. Mm. The production company was so sensitive to it and so open-minded and they readily employed that expert and had them guide their hand through this process. I... I... Please represent me. Be my lawyer. Because, <laughs> I don't know. That's so impressive. I'm, yeah. You should be really proud of yourself for encouraging those steps to be taken yeah. and, like, leading on those. Yeah. And also, goes back to what I said, you have such a deep understanding of what production companies and media companies need. Yeah. Which will be invaluable in insisting you in your legal career. That's that's a really cool example. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'm very proud of that. 
I'm very proud of what we've done. No matter how many people on Instagram want to call me a degenerate. Poor them. Poor them. Poor them. Honestly. Yeah. I always think it's difficult because someone says something nice, we don't remember it. One person says something not nice. Remember it forever. Yeah. And for sure. For sure. So that's why I find myself meditating often. Good. It's good <laughs> to have in ways therapy to, sessions. to deal with that because if you don't, then it's not gonna. It's not sustainable. No, and I draw strength a lot from Brené Brown, mm-hmm. who's a shame researcher, and she draws on a really good quote from Teddy Roosevelt, who says, "It's not the critic who counts." The one who sits in the audience and mm. from you know from the cheap seats and just throws a rotten tomato. Mm. The person who counts is the one in the arena, mm. whose face is marred in blood and sweat, mm. and is being mocked. That's the person I listen to because mm. they're in the arena. They know what it's like. Mm. You know, if you haven't spent a day in that public arena, you know, taking that level of criticism. It's mind-blowing having that many people critique you. Wow. So for me, I draw on that knowing that it's just not their opinion that counts. Mm. And I know that what I'm doing as a matter of principle is right. Yeah. It is right for my community. And I draw a lot of strength from that. And that's what keeps me going. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.